Hello and welcome to the Pondering Scripture Podcast, where we'll open God's Word and let Him guide our lives. I'm your host, Jeremiah Cox. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of His Spirit, washed in His blood. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is the sixth episode of Pondering Scripture, and in between James chapter 1 and James chapter 2, we want to give our attention to a topical study, a study which I've titled Blessed Assurance. Assurance of salvation is indeed a blessed thing. God has indeed blessed us greatly with an assurance. And let's understand the difference between saying a chance of salvation and an opportunity of salvation. It is entirely left up to man's free will. God has done his part, and it's up to us whether we grasp hold of that hope and take the advantage of the blessed assurance that God has to offer us. The song that I quoted from in the first verse is a beloved song of brethren throughout the world, really. And it's one we, many people know by heart, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. And we sing it often, but can we actually say that with great confidence? Can we have confidence in our salvation? We want to consider that in the next few episodes of Pondering Scripture. I believe we'll do it in four parts. This first episode will be dedicated to, can we be confident in our salvation? And then the next three will be the necessity of assurance. That is, we need to be confident in our salvation. If we're to be a successful Christian, if we're to live the way God wants us to live, then blessed assurance is necessary. And then we want to look at some false assurances, those things which people try to find confidence in. They try to find a solid foundation to stand upon, something that gives them a measure of confidence, but they look for that confidence. They look for that assurance in wrong places. And if you're looking for it in the wrong place, if you're trying to find assurance where God has given no assurance, then that certainly is not going to be good, and it's going to be foolish to do so. And then the last one, hopefully, and Lord willing, we will get to the point of discussing the blessed assurance that God does offer. Why can we be so confident in our salvation? What has God done for us, and is there anything that we're supposed to do? And I'll go ahead and affirm what we already know, I think, that yes, there is something and there are things that we must do and can do in order to have such confidence in our salvation, have such assurance we know that we're going to heaven. This is something that it's sad that it's something we need to talk about. I, I and I say that in in this way that I hope for and pray for each and every child of God to find confidence in their standing with God and in their salvation. Because how scary is it and how sad is it 
that some don't have blessed assurance despite all that's God's done for them and and also the fact that they have done what God has told them to do to be right with him and there's still this air of doubt there's still this this space in their mind where they're doubting their salvation and i think it is a real problem with a lot of Christians, sadly. Now, I will say this, that a lot of times the reason people don't have such assurance, they're not confident of their salvation, it's really because of something going on in their lives. If we are honest with ourselves, then we're going to be able to to have a confidence in salvation if indeed that honesty with ourselves manifests a right relationship with God. This is why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 13 that we're to uh, test ourselves to find out whether we are approved of God. We've got to investigate ourselves. We've got to search within ourselves and make sure we're in the faith is what the particular verse I'm talking about says. And if we find that something's wrong with our lives, we're in sin, we're, we're doing something wrong, or we're not fully convinced of something, then that's not going to give us a confidence of our salvation. It's going to raise a lot of red flags so that we can do what we need to do to find that confidence. And I think that that's one of the reasons why some Christians can't say that, yes, I am sure I'm going to heaven. But I will say this, there are some Christians who have done and are doing what God has told them to do and what God expects them to continue to do. They're diligent. They're faithful. They're individuals of great devotion. And yet, for some reason, they cannot say with confidence, I know I'm right with God. I know that if something were to happen to me, God forbid, but if something were to happen to me today, and I lost my life, that I would go on to be with the Lord, or if or if God sent His Son again for the judgment that I would be on the right side of history, that I would be the sheep, I would not be of the goats, I would be the ones that would be caught up with the Lord in the air so that we could go to be with Him in heaven for eternity. They, they cannot say that with confidence. And it's not because of something that they have done or haven't done, whether in regard to a sin of commission or a sin of omission. But I think that it's the devil. I think that's quite obvious. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul says we shouldn't be ignorant of the devil's devices. He says we aren't ignorant of the devil's devices. There in that chapter, it was about the sorrow that would overwhelm the individual who was withdrawn from Don't let him be overwhelmed. If he's repented, receive him, restore love to him, show him that he's accepted of God and accepted of the brethren again so that he can continue on steadfastly without being swallowed up with that sorrow. Don't be ignorant of the devil's devices. I think one of the devil's devices is doubt. Sometimes it's doubt in regard to being persuaded by a false doctrine Sometimes it's doubt and being persuaded by the false doctrine of secularism and humanism and and evolution and all of those kinds of things, having seeds of doubt planted in our mind by the devil, the, the adversary, that maybe God doesn't exist or, or, or maybe this doctrine doesn't make sense. Maybe this is, this is where we're wrong and this is actually right. And, 
And so there's doubts like that. But then there's also this doubt of, am I really right with God? Will I really go to heaven if something happened to me right now? Or if Christ came again for judgment, am, am I right with God? Am I going to be in Abraham's bosom like Lazarus in Luke 16? Or am I going to wake up in, in the torment of Hades of the rich man in Luke 16? And so this is a very important topic, I think. And it's one that we should address. Can we be confident in our salvation? Is this my story Is this the song I sing? Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of His Spirit, washed in His blood. This is my story, is it? Can we be confident of our salvation? Can I say that I am confident of my salvation? Just consider the example of Paul. Understanding that Paul, in writing to the Corinthian brethren in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 1, told them to imitate him as he imitated Christ. And so most certainly Paul is a hero of faith. He is a giant in our eyes, and rightly so. We can be like Paul, not just in how faithful we are, how much we do for the Lord and our our hearts, what we're pressing on toward and, and our efforts we put forth. We can be like Paul in the confidence he had of his own salvation. In 2 Timothy 1, he encouraged Timothy to enjoy or join in with him, rather, in the sufferings he was experienced for the gospel. And he goes on to say in verse 12 of 2 Timothy 1, For this reason, that is the gospel and the death of Christ and all of that that brings, for this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. In other words, the reason why Paul could go about and suffer for the Lord, suffer for the sake of the gospel, suffer for the brethren, and bringing them to Christ and establishing and solidifying the relationship in Christ is because he knew it was worth it. And it wasn't just a chance that it was worth it. It wasn't even just a, an empty hope that it was worth it. It was a confidence I know, and I know that he's able to keep what I've committed to him until that day. There is no doubt in those words of the Apostle Paul, there is just confidence. And so the Apostle Paul had confidence, and if he had confidence, then we can have confidence as well. But in addition to that, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, In verses 6 through 8, we might remember what the Apostle Paul utters. He talks about how he has fought the good fight. He has finished the race. He has kept the faith. There is finally the crown of life which the Lord has laid up for him. He's finally reached that point. He's finally come to that that realization. He's, He's confident in it. And not only that, he says that it's promised not to him only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And so he's confident that he's done what he's needed to do. He has fought the good fight. He's he's finished the race. He's kept the faith. It is laid up for him. Now, this is Paul speaking while he's still in the flesh. And he's speaking as if it's already there. And he's not doing this in a spirit of complacency. 
He's doing this in a spirit of confidence in what the Lord has provided for him. And certainly confidence in the fact that he had done what the Lord required him to do. Consider this also, that we can have confidence in our salvation because of what we read in the epistle of John. And this is everywhere in the New Testament, but here's an example. You might remember that the gospel of John's purpose is given toward the end of that gospel. It says that these signs of Jesus, there are many more, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So the gospel of John, like the other gospels, it's written that you may believe. Belief is necessary for salvation. We know that to be obedient belief, obedient faith. And these things are recorded in the Gospel of John that we can come to that belief and therefore come to a salvation. Now, John wrote his first epistle to some people that were troubled by false teachers that would later be called in that kind of doctrine, some that were following similar doctrines at the very least, Gnostics. They thought they knew better than everyone else. They had a special anointing. And so they started calling John's audience people who were not the people of God, people who didn't have salvation, that they were in the light, but these people were not. And it shook the confidence of John's readers. And that's why John wrote his epistle. And so John's gospel is written to incite faith. And John's first epistle is written to solidify and give confidence to the salvation that they did have in Christ as they obeyed him and were faithful to him. First John 5 and verse 11 says, This is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. So 1 John is written that they may know. That's confidence. That's no doubt. They may know that they have eternal life, and it's the same for us. The fact of the matter is, we can have confidence in our salvation because God offers confidence in our salvation. It wouldn't make any sense for God to do everything that He did for us to bring us into a relationship with Him, only to leave us hanging thinking, we don't have salvation. I can't know for sure. I'll, I'll, I'll know it when that time comes. I, I may have salvation. I may not have salvation. I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing and, and hope against hope that maybe one day it will come true. That's not the concept of Christianity. And Romans 5, among other things, like the peace we have with God and the access by faith into the grace in which we stand, we can rejoice also in tribulations, Paul says in Romans 5 and verse 3. And this is why, similar to our study in James, because this tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance, character and character, hope. And so that hope that is already had is further solidified when we prove ourselves to God. That character is proven character is what the Greek word means. Now, I want to especially focus on verse 5. This is the confidence that we have. Now, hope does not disappoint. If it disappointed, if we thought hope would disappoint, that's not very confident. There's doubt there. But hope does not disappoint. Why? 
because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. And he goes on to demonstrate that love. And verse 8 actually uses that word that God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And we'll touch on some things later in regard to what God has done to solidify that hope in us, that confident expectation. But namely, God shows us how much he loved us in his gospel with the things he's done for us, namely in the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. And that's to show us that this hope isn't going to disappoint. Now, there are things we must do as well. But God offers 100% confidence in his gospel message. I think that's why it's called good news. God wants us to have confidence. And if God wants something to happen, don't you think by his almighty eternal power that it's going to happen? Do you want confidence in your salvation? Well, it's a good thing that God wants us to have confidence in our salvation. I'll add something even further than that, though. God calls us to confidence. So can we have confidence in our salvation? Well, we better be able to have confidence in our salvation because it's something God calls us to. If God calls us to something, that's not an option. That is a requirement. And God calls us to confidence. One of the reasons why I wanted to talk about this in addition to the real problem that some have of not having confidence, of lacking that confidence of their salvation, is that sometimes you'll come across, at least I have come across personally, some individuals who display almost a sense of humility. And so if someone were to say, do you believe you're going to go to heaven? They might say, well, you know, I sure hope so, but I'm imperfect and this, that, and the other, and and, you know, hopefully I'll, I'll get to heaven. And so there's almost an unwillingness to express confidence in salvation. And, and a lot of times people balk at expressing confidence. They hesitate ex- at, at expressing confidence. And I think it's because they, they think that expressing confidence in their salvation is arrogant. And I don't think it is at all. There's a difference between expressing confidence in salvation by God's grace And our submission to what His grace has taught us, yes, grace of God teaches us, Titus 2.11. There's a difference between that and the self-righteous Pharisee and the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Expressing confidence in salvation is not necessarily arrogance. It's just faith. It's trust in what God has done for us and it's trust in what God has told us. Consider the need for confidence in the realm of God calling us to confidence. In Hebrews 3 and verse 14, the subject is essentially apostasy, really in the entirety of the Hebrew epistle. These brethren were falling away, and and the Hebrew writer calls them back to Christ. But in Hebrews 3, speaking of the household of Christ, he says, that we are of his house if we hold fast our confidence back in verse 6. But in verse 14 of Hebrews 3, he says, we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. He's saying you have to hold fast that confidence in order to actually be a partaker of Christ in the end. And that is a sharing with him in the, the kingdom and to the end expresses 
the realization of the fullness of that salvation. And so certainly we have a type of salvation now in response to the gospel. Our sins are forgiven us and we have a relationship with Christ. But this is speaking of the consummation of such. And the the thing that we have to have, one of the things that we have to have and maintain is confidence. Now you might ask that question, what, how does that even work? What, what does he bring that up for? Well, these brethren were obviously expressing a, a lack of confidence. They weren't holding fast to that confidence. And it's brought as a parallel to the Israelites. He quotes, while it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the day of rebellion or as in the rebellion. And then he goes on to give the example of the Israelites. Verse 16 of Hebrews 3, for who having heard rebelled, indeed, was it not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see they could not enter in because of unbelief. He says, you'll be become, become partakers of Christ if you hold fast your confidence steadfast to the end. And that's what the Israelites failed to do. Think about it in Numbers 13 and 14 when they were at Kadesh Barnea. And the 12 spies were sent into the Canaan land. And 10 of them came back and said, there's no way we're going to be able to take these people that, that we're like grasshoppers before them. And then two people, Caleb and Joshua, they said, essentially, we're confident. We are going to be able to do this. And not because we are able, but because we have God on our side. If God said it, then that settles it for us. We are confident. And so really, the Israelites, having already been given victory over the Egyptians and gone through other things since they escaped Egypt, because God was with them, now come to the biggest test, but God, who is almighty and will win, is still on their side, and yet they didn't express a confidence. And because of that, they lost their souls. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. God calls us to confidence. We have to have that confidence. Lastly, consider really what is at the basis of these few podcasts of blessed assurance. In Hebrews 6, he continues to encourage them to to go forward beyond the first principles and stop falling back, but press on in Christ. Don't throw your salvation away. And he says in Hebrews 6 and verse 11 that we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. That you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Notice that. Show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope. That phrase, full assurance of hope, is what we're talking about. Confidence in salvation. You won't have confidence in salvation if you're falling back, if you're not progressing, if you're not showing diligence. We'll talk about that in later podcasts, but... The full assurance of hope is absolutely attainable and it's promised and it's expected of us to get to if we are indeed to see the realization of our hope. Consider lastly, as we draw this to a close, that hope, the hope of Scripture, is really what confidence in salvation is talking about. You know, there are common phrases and thoughts about hope that we hear and maybe we ourselves have used that 
that express a misunderstanding in the scriptural nature of hope. We hear things like hoping against hope. We hear people say, or maybe we have said, hope for the best, but expect the worst, or hope is simply a wish. That's not the hope of scripture. The hope of scripture is the Greek word el peace. Strong says it means to anticipate, usually with pleasure. He also says it's expectation or confidence. Vine says it's favorable and confident expectation. Thayer says it's joyful and confident expectation. Art and Gingrich say it's the looking forward to something with some reason for confidence respecting fulfillment, expectation. And what the Hebrew writer does is he pairs that concept of confident expectation. That's what hope is. You're confident to the extent that you expect it. He pairs that together with full assurance, which means by strong Vine's definition, a fullness, abundance, full assurance as it's translated accurately. But it's a compound word, pleroforia, from pleros, full, and pharaoh to carry. So it means literally fully carrying. And what the Hebrew writer is saying is that he wants them to have the diligence to get to the point where they are fully carrying the confident expectation of eternal salvation in heaven. And so it's one of those things which is almost like a superlative, really, where it's like above and beyond. It's it's compounded. He's He's saying you should have confidence to this degree, the full assurance, fully carrying the confident and full expectation of eternal salvation. We can... And we also must, it's necessary, carry that fully, the hope of heaven, the confidence of our salvation. Again, this answers the first part of this series, blessed assurance. Can we be confident in our salvation? Absolutely we can. And we need to be confident, will be our next podcast, the necessity of assurance, But we don't need to find confidence or assurance in places that God doesn't offer. There are false assurances out there, and we need to be wary of those. But let's look the last episode at what God has done and what He offers to give us a blessed assurance. Why can we have such confidence? Again, it's not arrogance. It's confidence in the working of God and what He has done and what He has offered. and then our obedience and submission that is in conjunction with that. Saved by grace through faith. Yes, we can indeed have confidence. I hope that this study was a blessing to you. I hope that the rest will be a blessing to you as well as we have a break from James, and we'll get back to James 2 in a few few more podcasts. But I hope that this study of blessed assurance will be something that helps you that gives you confidence, that's encouraging, and that will draw you near to God as we look to His Word for guidance. I hope you have a blessed day. Thank you for listening to this edition of Pondering Scripture. It may be that you have some questions or comments. If so, don't hesitate to email me at jeremiahstancox at gmail.com. I hope you have a blessed day.